back to LBCF in SG. It's wonderful to have everyone back here together with us. Today, once again, I'm joined with everyone, including David, Chris, and Joanna. Do you guys want to say hi? Hi. Hi. Yo, yo, yo. Alright, David is back finally. I miss David, especially at the ending. But anyways, so uh, today we are back. <laughs> we are back again, once again, to discuss about the London Baptist Confession of Faith within the Singaporean context. Today we will try to finish uh, paragraph 4 and 5 of chapter 1, which actually talks a bit more about the authority of scriptures. Now I think this is important for us to take note of, simply because when we look into the very first paragraph of the LBCF in chapter 1, it says that the Holy Scripture is the only sufficient, certain, and infallible rule of all saving knowledge, faith, and obedience. However, when we look at that, there is an underlying assumption, an assertion here, which is the authority of scriptures, the rule and the authority of scriptures, which in itself is the sustain of paragraph 4. And in a way, paragraph 5, it goes on to explain about the authority of scriptures. So first of all, I guess when we start off with paragraph 4, we see the claim of the authority of scriptures, the claim and the explanation of it. So it's something that we ought to believe and we ought to obey. And it says in paragraph 4, it starts off by saying that the authority of Holy Scripture for it ought to be believed. Now, I just I think we want to open up, first of all, to, the, to all of us here, and we can talk a bit about authority in Singapore. How does Singaporean, how might Singaporean first of all view authority? And maybe I was thinking of, maybe we can discuss a bit about how Singaporean view the authority of scriptures, at least from a Christian perspective. We can, I guess we can talk a bit about non-Christian also, but I think from a Christian perspective first, how does Christian in general view the authority of scriptures? I think that Singaporeans uh, obey the law uh, so they won't gonna find. So they are, they are accepting of authority under yeah. the context of not being fine. Okay. Yeah. Okay, interesting. Authority of scripture. I mean, it's questionable, uh, depending on which denomination you fall under. I mean, so, so what? If you're, if you're charismatic, then I think they definitely lack, they lack the authority of scripture as first and foremost. Uh. Okay, I, I guess. Dave and Chris, what about you guys? Like, oh, what do you guys think? Uh, authority in the Singaporean sense, I yeah. think... Uh, Singaporeans in general, they kind of look up to our government as, I guess, one of the highest examples of authority because uh, I think Singaporeans in general, I say this in general, uh, we all pretty, are pretty okay. Uh, I think we like our government and I think we are willing to submit to it. Okay, So I don't think Singaporeans in general have a problem with that kind of authority where it's like national and stuff like that. Mm. But I think that's where uh, we come to the authority of the Bible because I think for non-Christians at least, to put it simply, I think they just view it as one of many holy books. Okay, so again, Singapore is a country with all kinds of religions, all kinds of so-called holy books and manuscripts. And as a result, it's very easy for the Bible to just become one of the many holy books and one of the many so-called divine authorities out there. Yeah, there's no such thing as a one and only highest final authority. And I think for Christians, we'll quickly touch upon that as well. I think to some degree that kind of ideology has seeped in to the Christian church and that some Christians out there also do not really believe that the Bible has the final say or that the Bible should be the final authority. At the end of the day, what man is naturally inclined to, whether you're Christian or not, because of our sin, we're naturally inclined to ourselves being the highest authority. Okay, thank you, Chris, for that. Uh, Dave? <laughs> I see a lot okay. of deep thoughts in Dave. Uh, no, nah. Um, firstly, I want to say that I think Singapore generally respects authority because we are Asian, Right? We, for example, you know, when we want to make a big decision in our life, um, you know, what we always respond, right? what we say, right? We always will say, oh, um, I must ask my parents first or 
uh, my parents might not agree, you know? So you can see that at least in Singapore, we do value authority. And what Chris said, yes, the government, you're right. Um, but as for the authority of the Bible, I will agree with Chris. Also, the idea that the Bible is just one of the many religious books. And why? Perhaps one of the main reasons is because Singapore is a multi-religious society. You know, we say in our pledge that we are multi-religious. And so when we know that Singapore is multi-religious, it gives this idea that all religions are equal. Right? If all religions are accepted, all are equal. And since all are equal, there is no one religious book over the other. And to say that one religious book has authority and the other religious books don't have authority is to see, be seen as narrow-minded and lack of diversity. Yeah, so um, to, to, uh, to, to piggyback Chris's point, yes, uh, people have a lack of understanding of the authority of the Bible. And it makes sense that it does make sense because they're not Christian. But also, again, as what Chris says, Christians also struggle um, with the idea of authority of scripture. They'll say, yes, the Bible says this, oh, but what does psychology say? What does TED Talk say? You know, um, so I think authority of scripture is very important. Yeah, I think a lot of people are questioning the authority of scriptures in Singapore, especially from a non-Christian perspective. I mean, one of the reasons why I wanted to ask this question is because I think in light of the things that are going around in the world, especially in the Western society, not just in the U.S., uh, but U.S. is the most prominent one, but not just in the U.S., a lot of people are getting more and more anti-authoritarian. You know, anything that is to do with authority, people have to do with, like, want to do with it. Uh, for example, one of the things that come to my mind was rioting. Like, for the past 40, 50 years in Singapore, the only riot that has actually happened was the Little India incident a while back. And so, I, I don't know, that, that, that question sort of, sort of popped up in my mind that I was thinking a bit about. Like, in the US, rioting, rioting has been like a, like, like a very common thing already. But in SG, if any riot happened, it's like a big news. So, I, I felt it was an like interesting uh, question to start us off with when we talk about authority here. So, so how about when we look into scriptures, how, how do we, why do we say that you know, scriptures is authoritative when it is so-called written by people? In the sense that we have prophets' writings, we have the apostles' writings. How can we say that um, whatever they have wrote is authoritative and whatever other people have wrote is not authoritative? It's very similar, I, I guess it's similar to last week's point of can, uh, canon, uh, last episode point of canon also. So, I don't know, just I just want I guess draw a bit about that first, especially David and Joanna. <laughs> you guys can give a bit of her input. Yes, Joanna. Ladies first. David is like pushing away so they can have time to think. <laughs> yeah, Dave is pushing at Joanna, and Joanna is pushing at Dave. But uh, I hope while while they think about it, we uh, y'all remember what we went through last session. We were talking about the canon of scripture, uh, why those books in our Bible are in our Bible. Yeah, and okay, well, to give them some time to think, I, I guess just to quickly recap is that the authors of the Bible knew what they were writing. Okay, it was not as if they were, uh, for example, let's take the New Testament, look at Paul, when he was writing his letters, I don't think he was just writing them as a form of friendly gesture or form of good advice. You know, let, let me just advise my little friend Philemon to, you know, forgive. Or let me just advise my, my little boy Timothy to, you know, how he should run a church. You know, uh, Paul in his writings knew he was writing with authority and this authority was not of himself. It was authority given by God. Yeah, so um, that's just one example I'll give. The rest I'll leave to the rest. <laughs> Okay, my thoughts would be that if you look at the London Baptist Confession of Faith, you can see that it quotes scripture. And one of the things that it's quoted is 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 19 to 21. And I'll just read out to you verse 21. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Simply said, when the men write the Old Testament scriptures, they were inspired by God. And since it's inspired by God, 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16 says that all scriptures God breathed and it's 
Yeah, it is God's word. That's why it contains God's authority. Now, some people would, would say, okay, yeah, Second Peter says that. Second Timothy says that. But listen, doesn't the context mean that it is referring to the Old Testament? How about the New Testament? But again, if you look at Second Peter and you look at the context, you look two verses before, verse 19. Peter is applying the inspiration of the Old Testament to his own letter. Okay, and if and there's also another passage in the Bible, I believe it's in first second Peter as well, where he where Peter equates Paul's letter to the scriptures. So in other words, the New Testament is also um the the, the New Test uh the, the Word of God, the authority of the Word of God. And based on that, we believe that the Holy Scriptures have the authority of God. Yep. We, that was mentioned in our previous session as yeah. well. <laughs> yeah, where Peter calls Paul's writings difficult and how you have many false teachers twisting Paul's letters as they do the other scriptures. That's from 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 16. Okay, uh, Maybe while Joanna thinks, uh, let me just show you one more verse that I'll, I also mentioned last session. So it's a lot of recap, huh? Uh, yeah. This verse is not quoted in the London Baptist Confession, which is, I'm afraid, that's where they fall short. Uh, j- just like, <laughs> no, 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 but, <laughs> there's so many verses to quote from, right? So you can yeah, only, yeah. Uh, keep it short so much. But again, I mentioned this previously as well. First Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 13. Uh, and this is where Paul is writing to the Thessalonian church, a very young church. And Paul is just giving thanks for them, uh, for their faith. So he says in verse th- chapter 2, verse 13, And we also thank God constantly for this, that when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but as what it really is, the word of God, which is at work in you believers. So it's, it's really interesting where Paul and his, his, his friends, his ministry partners, went to plant this church, preach the gospel, uh, and even write these things to them. Uh, they took it not as the mere words of a man, but rather these words, seeming words of, of a man, actually had the authority of God himself. So Paul knew it, his readers knew it, and we should know it as well. Mm. Thanks, Chris, for that. Joanna, anything? Okay, very good. Then let's, let's move on. Since today we have two, uh, two paragraphs to cover, we shall, we, shall, we shall speed up a bit, I guess. Okay. The next part about the basis of authority, I think it's quite interesting that the London Baptist Confession of Faith put both a negative and a positive perspective uh, take on this thing. First of all, it's, a, uh, it's negative because it talks about how it dependeth not upon the testimony of any man or church. And the positive, the positive way of putting it is that well, it's wholly upon God who is truth itself, the author, def, uh, the author. I think it's very interesting, first of all, when we look at this, a specific so-called phrase itself because uh, any of us who did the who did any form of like studies into the history of reformation you will come across a counter-reformation from the catholic church where any of us who understand the story who knows the story about the reformation of the protestants we protested against the church and whatnot and everything happened from there and so the roman catholic church did response to the, the Reformation itself in the form of a council, which happens to be called the Council of Trent. And if you were to look at the second decree uh, concerning the canonic scriptures, which will be in session for, it sounds very complicated, but basically it's in the, uh, it's in the Council of Trent itself. It says, it says here quite, it says here, um, yeah, furthermore, in order to restrain a pendulant spirit it decrees that no one relying on his own skill shall in matter of faith and of morals pertaining to the edification of Christian doctrine wrestle the sacred scripture to his own sense, presume to interpret the said sacred scripture contrary to the sense which Holy Mother Church, who it is to judge of the true sense and interpretation of the Holy Scripture have held and doth hold or even contrary to the unanimous consent of the fathers, even though such interpretations were never intended to be at any time published. 
that's very interesting. Basically, the whole chunk of it <laughs> is saying that you cannot <laughs> interpret outside of the Holy Mother Church, which means the Holy Catholic Church. So uh, that, that was in the context back then, you know, talking about Roman Catholics and even the Catholics today where eventually evolved to this idea of papal infidelity or papal inerrancy. Basically, the whole idea that the Pope himself cannot be wrong. So all of us Protestants like to make jokes about how the Pope themselves or even their own council contradicts one another in what they try to say. So I, I thought it was quite interesting. Uh, you know, look around us today. Do we have people around us or have you guys met people around us that holds on to something that is very similar to this? That authority itself is not scriptures anymore. But the authority of the scripture comes from someone else. For example, the Pope. As in the sense that in so as much the authority of scripture is there, is restrained within the context of the papal see or the church for the Roman Catholics. I don't know if have you guys ever experienced uh, in Singapore people holding on to something that is very similar to this? Really, the, the question here is a matter of ultimate authority. Yeah. Okay. Uh, everyone can just talk about authority all they like. But at the end of the day, every single person has an ultimate authority. It's whether mm. it's the word of God or yourself. So how that links to what you know, this group of people might say, that the Bible is somewhat authoritative, but it must still be judged by something else. Really what they are saying in that case is that, you know, I would rather submit to another authority. Uh, that's not the Bible. In this case, it might be the Pope. But that begs the question, uh, who governs the Pope? I mean, if the Pope really is, only, is really governed by himself, that actually he can make the Bible mean whatever he wants it to mean. Because if the Bible is not the ultimate authority, and if the Pope is the ultimate authority, then the Pope actually decides what the Bible should say. And the Pope actually decides what anyone should believe. Because he is, support, he is the ultimate authority in this case. So, again, again, you let any human being, considering the, our fallen nature, can leave the ultimate say, the final say to any human being. Um, just think about it in a common sense kind of way. Okay? Uh, would, would he or she represent God um, rightly? No, would, would he or she represent God rightly? If, if this authority was given to any human being other than the Bible? No. The answer is no, because we are sinful and our ways are sinful. And we need, what we need is an external source, an external authority to tell us and to guide us as to how we should do things. All right. Thank Chris. Thanks. Thanks Chris for that. What about, what about Dave? What, what was your take on this? This whole aspect of it? You're asking in today's, today, how does this manifest? Idea looking yeah. at a pope as authority. You're asking how does it look back today, is it? I mean, I, I, I mean, I'm suggesting that even today, there is a lot of cults and a lot of groups out there that have this kind of um, so-called understanding. For example, I think one, one example that comes to mind will be the Jehovah Witnesses, right? Um, the whole watchtower themselves, they are the one that is in control of the scriptures. And whoever that interprets scriptures outside of the watchtower or the prophets, or, uh, I'm not sure if it runs by prophet or not, but anyone who is outside of the Watchtower magazine is in a way wrong because, you know, the authority is held, the authority of interpretation is held by the Watchtower themselves and ultimately the ultimate authority is also held by the Watchtower. So, I, I don't know, like, how do we address this kind of issue? Even with Mormonism, it's also something very similar, you know, where they have, prof where they have the main prophet running around and interpreting everything that is um, in scriptures today. So, how do we react to, the, to this? Okay, so I'll just explain how I think that looks like today. Um, one of the things that you know, we noticed at the point of time is that people don't look at the Bibles, they look at the Pope to tell them what to believe. Right? And of course, we're asking how does it look like today? Well, actually, in the Christian world, the Pope might not be Pope Francis, but perhaps to some Christians, the Pope will be John Piper. Right? Um, um, I'll only, I don't read the Bible, but my theology drives or my theology is driven from John Piper's theology. 
right? Or um, <laughs> Jeff Dobby. <laughs> yeah, sorry. But basically, the main point is that like, some Christians struggle in, this, in the sense that you would rather um, find assurance and our uh, in uh, find, at least we would get a lot of our Bible knowledge from people, Bible teachers. And again, there's nothing wrong with that. But I think it comes to the point where um, we, if someone asks us, why do you believe this? And we say, oh, because John Piper said it. No, no, because R.C. Sproul said it. Because R.C. Sproul said it. I mean, it's very... Yeah, right. Yeah. And, and then, of course, then you, you see, you slowly, um, your authority suddenly doesn't become the Bible anymore. It suddenly becomes people interpreting the Bible for you. Um, again, I'm saying that the, God gives us teachers for us to know the word, sure. But remember, that's what um, the London Baptist Confession says, ultimately, our authority comes from the Bible. And how does that play itself out? We read the Bible. Um, and I guess that's how I would answer the question. Mm. Uh, thanks, thanks, Dave, for bringing that up. Uh, yeah, I think a lot of us today are, are affected by this also. You know, James White, a uh, great apologist. <laughs> <laughs> <That's my part. laughs> I was holding back my laughter so hard, man. <laughs> why, why not, right? I mean, why, Arthur, I, Arthur, 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 <laughs> <laughs> All right, anyway, anyways, uh, if you guys don't get the joke, basically Chris is in love with the both of them. So, so anyways, <laughs> yeah. You know uh, what? No. <laughs> I, I would I, love to tell you more about them if you ask me personally, but yeah, sure. <laughs> uh, yeah. Go follow him at the Reform Singaporean. You guys can ask him all these kind of questions. Yeah, follow me on my Instagram at the dot reform dot Singaporean. Yeah, you can bombard him with all these kind of questions regarding James Wright. Clap, clap, clap. <laughs> Oh, but anyway, shameless plug. Sorry, yeah. Shameless plug. <laughs> yeah, but anyway, yeah. Uh, so, yeah, there, there, I feel there's an issue running around. Uh, not just in so-called famous pastors that we don't know, but even the pastors of the local churches. I'm not sure, but I sense that some people also wish, in a sense, find the authority from pastors of their own church a bit too much. Uh, as you say, it's not wrong, Dave. I think I absolutely agree with you. But a lot of people, I feel that they go be beyond that kind of. Uh, just respecting the pastor and listening to the pastor because the Bible says so to a point that whatever the pastor says is correct. And a lot of times I sense that churches right now um, are, how should I put this? Uh, they are against anyone who questions the pastors. In the sense that, I, I don't know if you guys have ever had this kind of experience. Whenever you have a disagreement with the pastor of any forms or shapes, like maybe for example, your pastor brought this point about a certain doctrine. Uh, you disagree. And then your whole church comes after you because you disagree. I, I don't know. Do you guys ever have this kind of experience before? Yeah. But like, uh, I don't know. How, how do you guys feel? <coughs> <laughs> yes. Oh, what about Matthew 24? Would you like to give us? Like, your <laughs> no, 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 no. Please continue. Please, please continue. Please continue. No, no. In, yeah. I, I don't know. I feel that I feel like that's quite an interesting question that I don't know. Maybe we can, we can share a bit of our own experience and share a bit of how we explain to people in that sense. Like, how do we explain to people why we are disagreeing? And also, in a, another way, how do we disagree? In a sense that, because I understand that sometimes our disagreement might be brought to an extent that uh, it's like almost promoting ourselves as an authority instead of saying that the scripture has authority. So, I, I don't know. How, how do you guys usually respond to disagreement and, yeah, and all those kind of things? Um, Chris, I think you have something. <laughs> no, I just so, I, so, okay, okay. Yeah, so yeah. I, 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 I can speak. I can speak. Uh, yeah. So, so what I normally tell those in my church, especially the younger ones, when I bring up a certain doctrine or when I bring up even a point of a di of disagreement that I have with a church leader, uh, what I always tell them is what I aim to do is to not convert you into being Chris followers. Okay, I, I, I want to teach you how to read the Bible for yourself and understand it. Basically. Some, an objection that I, I think some people might raise is that if the authority is the Bible, then why got so many different interpretations, you know? Mm. Uh, so your interpretation of the Bible is the authority or my interpretation of the Bible. So uh, while that's a very fair question, I, I think to quickly answer that, okay, to put all of that misconception to the grave, okay, um, is what we hope to do, for example, when we study the book of Ephesians written by Paul, 
we, we would want as much as possible our interpretation to be Paul's interpretation. Okay? If we were to meet Paul today and we explain to him what Ephesians means, we would want him to say, yes, I totally agree. Okay, as much as possible. So that, that's the aim. That's the aim. Are we sinful? Yes. Do we get some things wrong? Yes. But, but there are certainly some things that we can know right. Um, so you know, if you want me to explain an example uh, that I've experienced in my old church is that a pastor was talking about church unity, fellowship. And guess which verse he used to support the idea of church fellowship? You might have heard this before. Matthew chapter 18, verse 20. Uh, I believe it's verse 20, if I got it correct, uh, remember correctly. Basically, the verse says, For when two or three are gathered oh, in my name, my. there I am with them. Okay? No way. Yeah, when two or three are gathered in my name, there I am among them. Okay? And quite long ago, when I was a very new Christian, uh, quite even jellyfish, I used that verse for fellowship and I got immediately scolded by my youth pastor. So I thank God for that because <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I was guilty of that as well. And I'm afraid many, many pastors today are still guilty of that. Um, and how we counter that, okay, if, if this is indeed something that is weighing on your mind, that there's something that your pastor said that is clearly not biblical, okay, feel free to raise it up because I'm sure if your pastor is really a godly person, he would, he would be open to listen and open to criticism. And by God's grace, maybe he will change. Um, but the, the key to, to it is to really know the context of these kind of passages. Yeah. Would, is, was Jesus really talking about fellowship when he said those words? Or was he actually talking about something else altogether? So again, that's, when we say the Bible is our authority, we want, uh, as we read it, as we study it, we, we want our takeaway to be actually what Jesus wants us to take away, at least in, the, in Matthew, Matthew 18, uh, and not just some random teaching that we um, think about on our own. Yeah. Yeah. Anything else about this or on this authority of human authority? More of that. Yeah. Any more things on that, Dave? Any more connects? He, he's asking Joanna to answer. Oh, Joanna, any more, any more things? Alright, everyone is okay with this? Okay, then I guess we can move on to, to the next uh, paragraph then. Paragraph 5. Uh, paragraph 5, it talks a bit about with us or what we call the authentication of its divine authority. I guess we have a bit of interesting things going on here. You know, we talk about the natural of nature of the evidences. Evidence. The external evidence of the testimony of the church and the internal evidence of the excellency of scripture. Yeah, and lastly, the efficiency of the evidence for the in-works works of the Holy uh, Spirit. So, yeah, I, I don't know. Like, this is basically going back to the same issue that they were trying to deal with regarding the so-called the, the, the issue according, uh, in accordance, uh, sorry, regarding the Catholic Church on how they define authority and how they enforce that authority from their own church. So, you know, even for this kind of things that we sort of discussed a bit about just now, about, a bit about it just now, how, how do we do with this kind of evidences in the sense that how do we so-called wrestle with it in our own Christian work so far in, in, in Singapore, living in Singapore? Have, I, I just now you guys give, you know, talk a bit about how you guys wrestle with it with your own church pastor and your own and your own fellow Christians. Is there any other any other more incidences that you guys think that this might have come as an issue when it comes to the nature of the authority of scripture itself? So why you so can you, can you clarify your question again? As in like um, okay, like for example, uh I think one thing that comes to my mind when, when I'm talking about this is more like uh people might ask you like so what authority, like, how do I put this? What's that, what, what's that phrase? Uh, wait, give me a second. <laughs> Let me go and search out that phrase. Uh, oh yeah, what rights does the Bible have? You know, those kind of sense. Oh uh, yes, you have the institutes. You know, what rights does the, does the scripture has over my life in that sense? Have you guys ever heard these kind of questions before? What rights does the scripture have to tell me that I'm wrong? Joanna, oh, oops, my mind is not off, sorry. 
Sorry, I've never really had such a encounter before. That's why I didn't really have much. Any, any like anything relating yeah. to authority of scriptures in your own experience that you have faced, whether your friends or you yourself personally have faced regarding the issue of authority of scriptures. Yeah, it has rarely happened. So I'm trying to recall if if I ever had. That's why I couldn't say anything. I feel that that is well, another I'm issue. Sorry. Hypothetically speaking, what what would you say? Hmm. Uh, I guess if uh if I was talking to a non Christian, we are talking about when we speak to non Christians, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, if, yeah. I guess I will ask them where they get their conscience from. How do they know right from wrong? Okay, Apolo- it's very apologetic way of approaching that. Okay. <laughs> Okay, I, I okay. I, I think I can pose another question in that sense. Like, so do you guys see this as an issue when people don't ask this much question about authority? You know, in that sense. Like Joanna says that, you know, a lot of- Oh, because I think that everyone is just very into relativism. So they don't really question me if this is my truth and this is what I want to believe in. They don't they don't see the need to question me or go against me in that sense. Because okay. it's it's just I believe what I want to believe and you believe what you want to believe, kind of. Attitude. Kind of attitude, yeah. That's why I guess I never really got that kind of question. Okay, that's fair. What about the rest? Do you guys see this as an issue or not? You know, like with this whole attitude of just believe it, lol. (laughs) Do you guys, I don't know, do you guys think that there's an issue there when people don't ask questions about authority or scriptures? It can mean mean one of two things. If people are not Mm. not questioning the authority of scripture, it can mean one of two things. One is that they are Christian <laughs> and they believe okay. in the authority of the scriptures, so there's no need to question it. Or two, mm-hmm. there are people who are, who just can't be bothered. And I think we in today's context at least, the, the latter is a lot more common. Yeah, yeah I, I think in Singapore uh, Singaporean context, we are not really trained to have a mind of our own in the sense where we're not really trained to always ask the questions why. Mm-hmm. Okay. And, and uh, if I'm to be a bit blunt here, when people say 21st century people are the most intellectual people. Uh, most advanced uh, generation of, of human, the human race, I would somewhat disagree <laughs> because I think uh, people in the past were thinking, pe- were, were thinking people a lot, lot more, okay? <laughs> Generally in human history, you have a lot more people who were philosophers, um, early scientists, uh, and people in general were really thinking kind of people. Today, the thinking aspect is very dumbed down and what gets elevated is feelings, okay, our mm. feelings. N- normally, what would convict a person of a certain teaching is whether they feel it or not, whether they feel like it's right, whether they feel like it will work, whether it feels good, you know. Uh, and yeah, I-, I think many Christians especially have lost the whole concept of questioning. Mm. Okay, even, even Christians, okay, even Christians who might, who might really have faith in Jesus, okay, saving faith, but I think what they might be lacking is really Questioning in a good sense. Okay, not that I'm doubting God, but really just questioning. Why is it really so reliable? Why is it really, you know, is Christianity really defendable intellectually? Is Christianity actually believable objectively? And or is it really just a subjective feeling? You know, Christianity is true whether I feel it or not. Or or is it actually possible? Is it actually the case that Christianity is true whether you believe it or not? I think we have mm. lost sight of that kind of Thinking, culture, thinking, questioning. Yeah, mm. yeah, I think I agree. Yeah, <laughs> that's, why, that's why I was asking this question. There's one thing that came to my mind also. Singaporeans, we don't like to ask questions. I think we have been trained up in our education system to not ask questions as much. I guess it's the fear of asking the wrong question also sometimes that stops us from asking questions. So yeah, that's a good point that you brought up there. How about David? How about yourself? Okay, so remember how when he says the authority of God, he really means authority of the God of the universe, mm. um, God whom, regardless Christian or not, you ought to worship, mm. right? So, mm. um, at most, not Christians will say, you know, sorry, sorry let me rephrase that. Not Christians will say, you know, I, the Bible is just another book. But some not Christians will say, sure, you know, um, your Bible is sacred. We don't know what else was sacred. The Quran is also sacred. Um, other um, 
scriptures from other religions are also sacred. So they would say, yeah, maybe the, your, your Bible is divine. Um, and I want to learn from it. But guess what? I also want to learn from other religions as well. But then again, um, what they fundamentally lack understanding of is that the Bible contains the full authority of God, right? When that means that not only the Bible is divine, but it also means everything else isn't divine. Everything else don't have the authority of the Bible. Um, and again, uh, we live in a multi-religious society. We live in a society. Say. We live in a multi-religious society um, where the idea that all religions are accepted gives this impression that all religions are equal. So, um, and then when you say, oh, no, 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 all religions are false, one religion is correct because only one religion has the authority of God, everyone goes bonkers, everyone loses their minds, right? Um, so, um, so I, I guess what do you mean, what, how does this apply to us? It applies to us because uh, I met, I, I've been talking to some non-Christians and then we, we were talking about the Bible and then my, the non-Christian friend said, well, yeah, you know, uh, the Bible is divine, it's God's word to you, but to me, why should I obey it? And of course, um, most people respond, uh, yeah, you're right, man, but let me try to convince you to be a Christian, you know. But perhaps a better response is no. <laughs> no, that's not the reason. The Bible is divine, no matter what you believe it or not, and you as non-Christian must obey it. You must convert, you must repent. So that's how I would say that. Very, very interesting point, David. Uh, yeah, going back to a point that Joanna brought out about us living in the relativity relativistic society where everything is relative uh, a lot of times the people's understanding of of things are basically oh if i don't believe it well that's not true <laughs> but i think what we brought up there was a very good point like it doesn't matter whether you believe it or not you know regarding when it comes to regards about authority of the scriptures and the authority of god is that <laughs> it doesn't care like honestly it doesn't care whether you believe it's the authority or not it is the authority it's a true statement it's like saying whether you believe you throw a rock into the air and it falls down onto the ground or not, it's still going to fall, out, fall onto the ground. It's, gravity is good, going to happen. So in that sense, in that kind of cases, yeah, uh, that kind of idea is brought up that truth is not, is not concerned with your feeling. <laughs> yes. Yeah, yeah. Okay, I, I just want to give a, a bit of comment. Um, this mm. one, this one, when me and my other friends, um, not friend, another person was evangelizing to another person in my medical center. And one of the things uh, we evangelized, my friend said to my non-Christian friend is that um, if God is true, then, or if God exists, then you're in it. You know, you're wrong. You know, if God doesn't exist, then great. But if God exists, then you, you, you'll be in a lot of trouble. Um, to which I kind of confronted him and said, bro, I, I don't think we should be using the word if God exists. We should say since God exists. <laughs> yes, that's again, Because if you say if God exists, you're giving this idea that the Bible, you know, is, mm, you know its authority is dependent on what you believe. But if you say since God exists, we give this idea and it's a biblical idea that regardless of what you believe or not, the Bible is true. You know, um, so uh, it's an authoritative. So I, I do believe that's one thing I want to share. <laughs> yeah, yeah, thanks Dave. Yeah, Chris, you have something, yeah? Yeah, uh, again, another recap. We talked about this in the last episode. You remember when we were talking about the canon? Okay, I gave the definition, the ontological definition of the canon. If you guys remember that, okay, recap, that big word means what is the Bible in and of itself? What is the Bible, regardless of what people believe it to be, regardless of whether it was discovered, Okay, in essence, the Bible is authoritative simply because these are the very words of God. The Bible is not authoritative just because some church compiled it together. It is not authoritative because it was being used by Christians in the early church, but it's simply authoritative because of the fact that God gave those words to his church. Hmm. Okay, so again, it's where we start, start from. And I think, David, yeah, I, I, yeah, I think David gave a very great example of that. Hmm. It's the fact that we should obey it because God exists. It is not, you should obey it, you know, because it's the most wise thing to do or it's the most reasonable thing to do. But no, it, you obey it because God commands you to obey it. See, it's a very big difference there. Yeah. Yeah. Actually, they brought a very good point uh, regarding the whole word usage in the sense of if and since. Uh, yeah, I, I think a lot of Singaporean Christians, when we, like, when we evangelize to people, we always like to make an assumption 
of God's existence or an assumption of the authority of scriptures. But a lot of times we don't assert that this is truth. And so in that so-called word use, we can, <laughs> we are assuming that, but we are not asserting that. Yeah, so I, I think that's a very good point um, Dave and Chris uh, have brought up. And yeah, uh, sit back and relax. <laughs> we shall continue uh, with, with the next thing, the next point that I wanted to discuss. Uh, it's actually the last paragraph, or sorry, the last part of the paragraph five. It says here, yet notwithstanding our full persuasions and assurance of the infallible truth and divine authority thereof is from the inward work of the Holy Spirit bearing witness by and with the word in our hearts. How do you guys respond to this? I don't know what kind of question, like, I don't know how to ask this kind of question. How do you guys respond to this? This last uh, statement of it. I was thinking of the direction, we're getting about the direction of preaching and how the inward working of the Holy Spirit into in our hearts. So I, I don't know, what, what are your, you guys comments and response on this? Okay, I'll go first then. All right. So if you look at paragraph five, paragraph five says, the Bible is full of a lot of, a lot of wonderful things that evidences itself as the word of God, mm. right? So you give the idea that, oh, you know, if you look uh, in the whole 66 books, all has one unified theme. Um, the fact that the way it's written is so majestic. Um, the fact that it is so, um, it is so rich and it is so, it's so transforming uh, people's lives. You know, all of all these evidences gives the idea, really shows the, gives the there proves to show that the Bible is the word of God. But what this paragraph five says, some says something very surprising. It says yes, all those evidences can show that the Bible is the word of God. But but the real reason, the full ultimate primary reason why we believe the Bible is the word of God is a spirit. Is a spirit of God. That means right. For example, if, an, if somebody asks you, David, how would you convince a non-Christian to believe that the Bible is the word of God? Most people will say, oh, show them the evidences. Uh, show them that the Bible is full of wonderful things, that the only explanation could be that it is divine. And of course, again, the, 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 the confession says that these evidences are not, um, are not to be neglected, sure. But actually the confession would say to the person, no, the only way the person, the non-Christian can believe the Bible is the word of God is a miracle. Is <laughs> when the supernatural work of the Holy Spirit changes his heart to believe the Bible. Okay? So, to answer your question about preaching, uh, YB, it means that when I was a preacher, I go out and I preach to people and people get converted. Ultimately, it's not because, oh, you know, they see how wonderful I preach or they see wow this Bible text is so relevant to me it has to be true no no no, no. the only reason why they believe is because the, the Holy Spirit supernaturally gave them eyes to see that the Bible is the word of God okay so um, that is why if a non-Christian comes up to me and says oh I don't believe the Bible is the word of God how can you convince me I'll tell him bro I'll pray for you, you no matter. <laughs> yes I'll pray for you <laughs> <laughs> right. That is that's that's what I would say. And I'll preach the gospel because the gospel is what God uses to save people. So, yeah. Interesting. One thought came to my mind. Uh, I think I I forgot who was it. I I was I heard a pastor preaching once, and he said that whenever someone preaches preaching, the prayer is always been to be praying for the Holy Spirit to come upon the person. So that the Holy Spirit will enlighten the person to understand all that has been spoken throughout the sermon or throughout whatever so-called session that they're having. I, I don't know. Do you think that we have lost this kind of understanding of um, the Spirit coming, uh, have illuminating this kind of ideas in us? Do we have we lost sight of this in, in modern day Christianity? Yes. Why do you say that? <laughs> Again, because um, the, the way Christianity is, is that the idea that um, the reason why people come to faith is because of their own reasoning. The reason why people understand certain things is because they thought things through and they're able to understand it and they're able to logically systemize everything. And that's why based on that, I'm able to understand certain things, whether it, it things to make me a Christian or things to help me grow in the faith, um, which of course, again, God uses those things. But we forget that ultimately the reason why um, 
we know these things is the Holy Spirit. Yeah. And, and I guess perhaps one of the, maybe, I guess one of the ways I know this personally for my life is that when I read the Bible, I don't really spend much time praying. I spend more time reading, you know, mm. when actually perhaps, perhaps as what John Piper, John Piper suggested this, is that when you prepare your sermons, um, every five to 10 minutes, you stop and you pray that God will give you eyes to see and ears to hear. Right, and for me, it's like, wow, very mafan, very burdened, you know, like every five to ten minutes must do. But then you realize, right, John Piper is saying something that we don't see. He's saying that it's the only the Holy Spirit that causes us to understand what the Bible says. Love. So, um, that's what I would say. So, you will agree that sometimes you have taken Christianity to such a level of so called intellectual perspective and we lost sight of the spiritual aspect yeah, of Christianity. As if Christianity is one of the subjects in university that you can mm. just study and understand, gain information from it. Yeah. So you negate the spiritual aspect like, in the sense of so. Okay. Chris, I, I, I thought, do you have something? Yeah, yeah. Uh, I think First Corinthians chapter 1 and 2 are great passages to read regarding mm. this topic. Mm. Uh, let me just quickly read chapter 1 verse 20. 2 and 23. So Paul says, For Jews demand signs, and Greeks seek wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and a folly to Gentiles. Okay, then fast forward to chapter 2, verse 14. It says that the natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him, and he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. And I mean, how, how that relates to whatever we've been talking about is simply that, you know, all these crucial topics like the gospel, you know, why is the Bible authoritative, no matter what we believe, whether we believe it or not, you know, uh, these things really can only be brought to light in a person uh, through the work of the Holy Spirit. In Christianity, the fact that any of us here believe in Christ, believe in the gospel, is because of the Holy Spirit's work. Yeah, because... We can give all kinds of evidences okay, for Christianity, but that's not what they need. Okay? In, in Paul, Paul said, right, the, the Jews seek signs, uh, a, a wow factor, right, a wow happening. Greeks seek wisdom, or this must sound reasonable to me. This must sound believable to me. But no, um, it is really only the Spirit that gives light. And as we preach Christ and Him crucified, aka the Gospel, uh, that's why that's why we also do not need uh, should not neglect the area of prayer that we acknowledge that yes while we preach while we persuade while we convince it is only God who can give them a new heart to believe in whatever we are saying yeah yeah that's very that's very insightful for that kind of uh, that aspect of it uh, I think in churches today. <laughs> Uh, many of us have, have done that also. We don't really pray that much in before Bible study. I'm not sure if you guys sense that, but like a lot of times the prayer has been very so-called, I will use the term unspiritual, sounds a bit uh, not right. But um, it's almost like that we are doing prayer because we have to do prayer. It's almost like a, it's like a chore in the sense that we are just doing it because we have been doing it for the past few sessions. So to continue that, we are praying, but we don't really truly see ourselves down and have this spiritual understanding that, hey, this is something that we're asking God for to illumine us. It's not that we can, by our own wisdom and by our own knowledge, and even our experience to understand what this passage might be talking about. So I, I think there's one thing that we can look into more into our own lives, the spiritual, uh, how to build our spirituality in the sense of prayer um, before studies and whatnot. So yeah, I think, I think that's a very interesting part that we have gone through. All right. I don't know how long is it, but I think it's about time. About so one hour, about one hour. It's about one hour, right? This, yeah, and, yeah. Sorry, yeah. Go ahead. No, no, some of the things that were mentioned, uh, I think either by you or David, just now we're talking about whether, uh, what, do we try to win people over to Christ using any external method, you know? I think that's addressed in paragraph six. Mm, yeah, <laughs> yes, yes. We'll, we'll talk about next yes. time uh, about is this, are the scriptures really sufficient in, in saving someone, bringing someone to a saving knowledge of Christ? Or must we resort to other methods? Uh, yes. you know, I guess we have sinned. <laughs> Always going above and beyond our, our coverage. But yeah, ultimately all of them are linked together uh, in one way or another. So it, it cross, they cross paths. 
<laughs> Alright, uh, any, any more things from you guys? Anything you guys want to add on? Um, if you guys want a more in-depth uh, explanation of this, which really changed my mind uh, on this, you go read Institutes, um, chapter 1, verse... Uh, chapter 1, verse... Chapter one, verse. <laughs> <laughs> yes, uh, the Holy <laughs> Institute. <laughs> the Book <Yeah>, of Kelvin. <laughs> 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 so, okay, I'm I'm referring to the the this version, the fifteen fifty nine version um edition, um chapter one, book one chapter six chapter seven. Uh, basically, you just go to your institutes, then you go search the chapter in chapter in the book one where it talks where Calvin talks about the testimony of the Holy Spirit in relation to the Bible. Read that, you'll change your mind. It will affect your Christian life a lot. So go read that. It's yeah. only two chapters, only one chapter. You just can read it in probably in 30, 45. <laughs> if you're more of an uh, audio person. Audible? Yeah, other than audible.com, oh. right? There's also a sermon called Scripture Has Ultimate Authority by Jeff Durbin. Go give it a listen. Yeah, yeah. Go read the institutes or listen to Jeff Durbin. They pro- pretty much, I think they will talk about the same thing. <laughs> uh, more or less uh, oh okay I like that alright very good uh, extra resources for you guys to look look into and read into I guess uh, yeah David just a reminder that, that that was an institute that I bought for you you're welcome oh. <laughs> just oh. a rubbing in you know a baptist has to give a presbyterian uh, institute yeah. Presbyterian. Maybe more Presbyterian, I think. Oh, you're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> All right, is there anything else? If that is it, I guess we will end our episode off here with that. All right, see you guys next session. We will go through uh, paragraph six and maybe seven. We'll, it depends on how long we take. Yep, bye, guys. All right, bye. Thank you. Bye.